Good morning. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read the Bible on, and I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We are in our second week on our series of the book of Philippians, and uh, so I'm excited to continue that going. If you did not bring a Bible or you don't have a Bible uh, with you, there are Bibles in the back of the pews. Please feel free to grab one of those. If you are using one of those, uh, you can turn. If it's one of the leather ones, you will find the passage that we're on on page six hundred and sixty-eight. If it's a paperback, it's on page five hundred and fifty-one. Um, and if you don't have a Bible at home and you would like one, please take one of those Bibles out of the pew. And when this service is over today, I want you to take that Bible and tuck it under your arm and walk out the door with it. Because we want every person to have a Bible in their home that they can study and they can read uh, and understand the Lord more. So please, please let that be our gift from us to you uh, to take one of those Bibles. Now, we're in Philippians chapter 1. I've got a, a story that I hope kind of connects uh, with what I want us to understand this morning. Uh, when my wife and I first got married, uh, we uh, lived in Amarillo for about a month, and then we moved to Fort Worth, Texas uh, to begin my uh, studies in seminary. And uh, one winter, about two years into our marriage, uh, we and a couple of friends of ours named Jared and Leah decided we were going to drive to New Mexico uh, for a ski and snowboarding trip. And so we made all the plans. We, they, Jared and Leah met us at our house and we loaded the car and we took off uh, late in the evening. We were going to drive overnight and stop in a little town near Amarillo and pick up Leah's grandfather's four-wheel drive Suburban so that we could handle the snow. And then we were going to drive on to New Mexico and, and ski and snowboard for three days and then drive back, drop the Suburban off, and, and finish our last leg of the trip in uh, Fort Worth. So we get in the car, we get going, and we stop about three hours later in this little town. We come to a stoplight on the highway in my little Ford Taurus and come to a stop and notice that there is steam billowing out of the hood of the car. Yeah, many of you already know where this story is going. It was in the middle of the night, it was about midnight, and so there's not a single place open to take the car to, so we, we just happened to notice there's a gas station right at that intersection, so we turned the car into the, the gas station, and we popped the hood, and sure enough, my cooling system was completely dry. There was no water, no antifreeze in it. It was bone dry. And so uh, there was a water uh, dispenser there. And so we filled it back up and we found a local motel and, and got checked in. And Jared, the guy that was with us, said, man, my best friend still lives in Amarillo. Why don't we call him, see if he can grab the Suburban, come pick us up in the morning, and then we can finish up our trip and pick up the car on our way back. I thought, that's great. We can take care of this and not miss any of this trip. That'll be wonderful. So we, we stay the night, we called Steve, he said, yeah, 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 I'll pick it up first thing in the morning. So we wake up the next morning, Jared and I get in the car to take it to the mechanic, and in the meantime, Leah and my wife call Steve to see where he's at. And Steve says, oh yeah, I'm only about an hour away, and that, that he was, it, it's a four-hour trip from Amarillo to where we were at. So he had been on the road three hours, and he had stopped, and he said, Leah, um, I don't know that I've got the right Suburban. And Leah went, what do you mean you don't know if you have the right Suburban? He says, well, Leah, your grandfather's a doctor, isn't he? And she goes, yeah. And he goes, well, there's like five sets of boots and chaps back here for working cattle. There's even a Brandon iron back here. I don't know that this is your grandfather's Suburban. And Leah said, Steve, pull over. 
And she had him get out, and she goes, now look in the back and tell me what's back there exactly. So he described the back of the suburban. She goes, Steve, you stole somebody's suburban. I want you to get in the glove compartment. I want you to open it up, and I want you to tell me what the name on the insurance card is. So Steve opens the glove compartment, pulls out the insurance card, tells her this guy's name, and she goes, yeah, that's not my grandfather's name. So Leah looks him up. Steve starts continuing our way because he was actually closer to us than he was to Amarillo. And so Leah calls the guy up and says, I don't know how to say this, but... I think we stole your Suburban. And the guy on the other end says, oh yeah, I noticed it was gone this morning. (laughs) He goes, I just figured one of my work hands came and picked it up and needed it for something. And so I didn't think much of it. And he goes, what are y'all doing? And so Lee explained the whole story of what what we were doing and why we were traveling. He goes, ah, take it on up there. Just drop it off on your way back. (laughs) That's a good old Texas boy for you. And, uh, so Leal was like, no, 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 we'll, 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 we'll drop it off and we'll pick up my grandfather. So anyways, long story short, we, Steve picks us up. We, we drive over to back to this little town outside of Amarillo. It turns out that this suburban belonged to the man whose house was right next to Leah's grandfather's house. And he kept the keys under the, the floor mat in the same place that her grandfather kept a spare set of keys in his suburban Can you believe it? What are the odds? And so, long story short, it was a great trip. We we made our way back. We stopped in that little town. Turns out that on my little car, what had happened was this tiny little aluminum cap on the side of the engine block had gotten a little corrosion. It was spitting out radiator fluid. That was all that was wrong. They popped the cap off, popped a new one on, filled it up, and it was good to go. So, wild and crazy story for no good reason. You know, we, we could have avoided the whole thing. We all felt like we were going to get arrested. But it turned out to be okay. The guy was very, very gracious to us. Kind of an odd detour, don't you think? To, to have a car break down. I, I, many of us have been in that scenario where we've been on a trip and the car's broken down or we've blown a tire on the trip or whatever and we've, we've had to stop and we've gone, oh, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm trying to get to point B. I started at point A. Now I want to get to point B. I don't want the detour. But that happens a lot when we travel, doesn't it? Even when we fly. Uh, We we may get on a flight and turns out that something's closed somewhere down the road and we have to take a detour flight to somewhere else to get to our other destination. It, It happens. But doesn't it happen in our own lives too? Don't we have, I think every one of us in this room could probably say, uh, now or at some point in my life, I had a plan, right? I had this plan, this idea of where I was going in life and how I was going to get there, and then detours happened. Do the plans ever go as planned? Do, do our lives, does, do the way we design our life, does that ever actually go the way we thought it would go? Almost never. There's always some kind of detour. There's always some kind of roadblock or, or bump in the road that changes our plans. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin this morning in verse 12. So if you'll remember, 
Paul is writing to the church in a city called Philippi. And Philippi was a Roman colony, very prominent. It was a trade route. And so it was a big, important city. And Paul had a special place in his heart for the people in the church at Philippi. He talks to the people in this letter differently than he talks in most of his letters. He loved them in a different way. He had an affection for the people of Philippi that he didn't necessarily express the same way for the other churches that he wrote to. So starting in verse 12, let's read what Paul has to say. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I in no way will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, Again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Talk about a detour. Paul, his whole desire is to travel from place to place and tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That was his whole goal in life. And where is he now? He is in prison. The idea, the plan to travel to to go to different cities and spread the good news of Jesus Christ has been put on hold. But not really. Because Paul, in this moment, realizes that just because things aren't going the way he planned does not mean that God, that the work of God has to stop. He realizes that even though he's in prison, the work of Christ is continuing. 
It's going on. So he mentions the gospel nine times in the book of Philippians. The word gospel appears nine times in four chapters. And so I think we need to take a moment and pay attention to that because the word gospel is used many times in the New Testament. And I I think we maybe either have a misunderstanding or a complete lack of understanding of what the gospel is. So what is the gospel? Well, translated literally, it means the good news. And so what is the good news? The good news is that Jesus Christ was born on this earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, a perfect life. And then at the end of his life, after teaching about God and about the kingdom of heaven, he was falsely accused and was crucified on a cross as an innocent man. And his blood was shed so that we could receive forgiveness of our sins. His body was broken so that we could be saved. And on the third day after he died, he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That is the good news. That is the gospel. It's that news of Jesus Christ for the salvation of all who will accept Him as their Lord and Savior. That's what Paul is talking about here. And if you're not someone who has made the decision to follow Christ, you don't live by the gospel, then why not? I would invite you today to think about that, to to think about why wouldn't you want to accept the life-changing relationship that Jesus Christ offers that forgives all of their sins so that they can receive heaven and an eternity with God. We'll have an opportunity at the end of the service to respond. And, And if you're that person, if you're wondering what a relationship with Christ looks like, if you're wondering what this gospel is all about, and you would like to talk to someone, a couple of us pastors will be available towards the end of the service, and we would love the opportunity to talk to you about that. Now, now back to Philippians chapter 1. We're speaking about the gospel, and Paul is basically saying, listen, I don't care what happens. As long as the gospel is being spread, that's the point. That's the purpose. No matter what the detour on my road may be, if the gospel is being spread, it's a win. And so here's my statement for this morning. If you have ignored everything I have to say up to this point, stop what you're doing and look up here. I want you to remember this one statement. And I want you to take this with you this week and think and pray about this statement throughout the week. And here's our statement for the week. Getting to the destination is not the purpose of life. It's understanding that the detours are designed to point us and others to the gospel. It's that word picture. It's that image that that stirs up in our minds. When we take a journey, the journey of a life with Christ is not about getting from point A to point B. The journey with Christ is about understanding that you're going to start out with Christ and you're going to go all over the place. God is going to take you on so many detours throughout your life. Things are not going to go as expected. But the point is that we're not so focused on the end, on, the, on that point B. The destination is important, but it's not the purpose. The purpose is understanding that every time our life gets detoured, we use that detour to point ourselves and point others more closely 
to the gospel found in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is doing here. Take your Bibles and look with me. There's some, he says it over and over if you notice. So look at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to what? To advance the gospel. Paul's saying, I'm in prison. Hallelujah! You know how many people go, I got thrown in jail. It was great. That's what Paul is saying. He's going, you know what? I'm in prison. And guess what's happening as a result? The gospel's being spread. He's happy about it. Continue looking. Look with me in verse 14. He says this, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul is saying, you know what? My chains, this detour that I'm on, is not just affecting me, but it's helping all of my brothers and sisters in Christ to spread the gospel even more boldly without fear. Look even more. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, he says this, but what does it matter? He's talking about that there are two kind of groups of people spreading the gospel. One group is doing it out of selfish ambition and reasons that aren't really godly. And the other group is doing it out of goodwill and to, to see God furthered. And look what he says about it. But what does it matter? In other words, what does it matter who's doing spreading the gospel? It says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached, and in that I rejoice. Isn't that amazing? Paul doesn't care what their motives are. If they're preaching the gospel, great! Now, he's going to say later in some of his letters that this is not the goal we should have, but he's saying either way, Christ is being spread. The gospel is being spread to all the world. Now, one more passage. Look in verse 25. Verse 25, convinced of this. He's talking about whether he's supposed to be living or whether he's supposed to be dying. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul doesn't care whether he lives or whether he dies as long as Christ is preached. As long as people are coming to know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that's all that matters to Paul. Nothing else in the world can shed a light on anything compared to the gospel. The gospel is the end-all, be-all of existence for Paul and the way he lives. He doesn't care as much about the end destination. And he talks about that. We're going to talk about this in a moment. He's not nearly as concerned about the end destination. He's much more concerned about making sure that whatever happens in his life points others to Christ. That is why Paul lives. That is his purpose in life. But let me ask you a question. Why is it so hard to share the gospel? Because... According to the studies that, that we, we have out there, the, the research that's being done and the surveys that are being taken, 
uh, very few people share the gospel with the people around them. It's the truth. It's the fact of the society that we live in. You know, a lot of people struggle to tell people about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so why is that? Why is it that it's so much easier to be courageous physically than it is to be courageous spiritually? I think, personally, it's because there's more at stake spiritually. In the physical world, we're going to live on this earth somewhere around average being 78 years here in the United States. That's the average lifespan, or what is the average lifespan last time I looked it up. So we're going to live on this earth 78-ish years, give or take, whatever. But spiritually, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about forever. No end. And so there seems to be, there, there's a feeling that there is more at stake with spiritual matters than with physical matters. I think the other reason why we find it so difficult to share the gospel is the, bulk, the Bible calls it out, we are in the middle of a spiritual war ground. We are in the middle of spiritual warfare. There are angels in battle our prayers, our study of Scripture, our, our impact on the lives around us are all part of the spiritual warfare that we are involved with, whether we know it or not. And warfare is not easy, is it? But when you go to work and you do something physically, there's not usually war involved unless you're out on the lines. And so we live in a spiritual war zone. And as a result, it makes it more difficult to be courageous spiritually with sharing the gospel. So how do we live for Christ? How do we be brave and courageous the way Paul talks about in verse 18? How do we live that courageous gospel life? I want you to look with me at verse 19. Verse 19. And it says this. For I know... That through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I don't think it's a coincidence that yet again we see that Paul is dependent on prayer. If we want to be courageous in this spiritual war zone that we live in, we have to have a life of prayer. And, look at what else he says in verse 19, we have to depend on the provision of the Holy Spirit. We have to have a constant, consistent relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer and dependence on the Helper, the Spirit that He brought to us. That's how we live courageously. When we have that communion, when we have that connection with God, we can live a courageous, gospel-focused life. So, where are you in your prayer life and in your dependence on the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit that He has given to us? Now, I want to shift gears just for a moment. I want to look at one more passage here. Verse 21. Verse 21 says this, For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the ultimate godly attitude. 
This is the ultimate godly approach to life here in this war zone on this earth. Knowing that if we live, we get to spread the gospel even more. Or if we die, we get to go be with Jesus Christ. Either way, it's a win-win scenario, isn't it? Now, let's be honest. We all want to live, don't we? I think most people on the face of the earth uh, want to live deep down inside. They have, we have a drive inside of us that God has given us to continue living. And the fact is, is that that living, that desire to live, drives us to find cures for our illnesses. That's a great thing. This is a good godly thing. But what is the purpose of that drive? If you want to live, why do you want to live? Is your purpose to live to avoid pain? Is it to live a life of comfort? Or is the purpose to living so that you can have more time to tell others about Christ? Because that's what Paul, here in Philippians 1, that's what he says his purpose for living is. If I live, awesome. It gives me more time and more opportunity to tell people about the life-saving relational hope of Jesus Christ. But if I die, I get to go see Jesus Christ. Win-win. I win either way. I'm good to go either way. And Paul makes it clear here, he would rather die. He would rather have the gain, the personal gain of saying, I don't have to be in chains anymore. I don't have to deal with the struggles of this life. I don't have to be sick or uncomfortable or hurt. I'd rather go live in perfection with my Savior Jesus where no pain, no suffering, no tear is going to happen. But I know right now that's not the point. He says, I know that the point is to continue living for the progress of faith. So why do we live? What is the purpose of the road we're on? The purpose of the road is this. Rejoicing in, relying on, for the representation of Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in, relying on, for the representation of Jesus. We live so that we can rejoice in Him, so that we can rely on Him, so that others can see our representation of Him. This all goes back to one idea. Life on this earth is not about us. Life on this earth is all about Him. And the moment we understand that, the moment we can wrap our minds and our hearts around the idea that our life is not about our comfort Our life is not about our pleasure. Our life is about pointing people to Jesus Christ. When we understand that, this world's going to change. When we understand who we live for, this world will change. So, when hard times come, do you pray or do you pout? Do you rely on your own knowledge to get you through the detours? Or do you rely on the infinite knowledge and wisdom of your Savior? Who do you point others to when your life gets difficult? When you're sick, or you're down, or all the money's gone, do you rejoice all the same and show people what a life-changing relationship with Jesus looks like? 
You show people what life-changing hope that can only be found with Jesus looks like? That's the question for this morning. Where does your hope lie, and does your life reflect that? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this opportunity to be here in your house. And God, our prayer this morning is that you would help us to understand what that life-changing hope of Jesus actually is and how our lives should be lived according to that life-changing hope. God, help us to understand what the purpose is, why we're here. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.